Good evening, Browns fans, and welcome to OBR Weekly for July 6th, 2021. My name is Barry McBride. I'm the publisher and a tame web dork at the OBR. I hope everyone out there had a great Independence Day weekend. I know I did. How about you, Mr. Fred Greetham? You have a good Independence Day weekend? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, went down, saw a daughter and her husband and two granddaughters and had a good time down there. Took in some big time fireworks at two different places. Yeah. So normally we don't even bother with them anymore, but that's the thing that you do when you got grandkids. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have not gone to in person to see a fireworks presentation since my kids uh, tired of that uh, a number of years ago. And uh, frankly, I don't miss it terribly. But uh, at any rate, uh, what we did not do uh, this weekend was record a lot of Cleveland Browns news. Uh, this is the time of year where uh, the staff is on vacation. People are uh, hanging out on the beach and doing all that sort of stuff. And there's not a lot of activity down in Berea. That will rapidly change as we get toward the end of this month. But uh, for now, uh, we don't have a great deal of news to talk about. But as always, we are very enthusiastic about your questions. So if you are in the chat room, uh, we definitely want to hear from you uh, and uh, get your questions and talk Browns. So you control the show. Whatever questions you have or comments you have, we will react to. And uh, we just want to hear from you uh, throughout the course of the program. Uh, but let's talk a, a little bit about some of the things that did happen over the course of the last week, Fred. Uh, one of the things that happened is that you wrote a review of the defensive tackles uh, that uh, are on the Browns this year, a position where they are uh, seeming to uh, have in numbers what they don't have in uh, certainty, if you know what I mean. Uh, they're throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, and uh, what is your impression of the position, Mr. Greetham? I mean, heading into the off season, and then after the the moves going into the draft, I felt like the biggest uh, question was defensive line, interior defensive line. They addressed the outside with Jadavian Clowney and Tacarus McKinley, and I think they're counting on Porter Gustin and Curtis Weaver, one mm -hmm. of, one of those guys to step up. But on the inside, I mean, the two starters from last year, Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi. Uh, we all were pretty sure that Ogunjobi was going to be allowed to go in free agency, and he did. He went to the Bengals in a one-year deal. Mm -hmm. But I was a little shocked that Sheldon Richardson was let go because he probably was the third best defensive player last year, in my opinion. And sure, he had a big salary. But if you remember a year ago, Olivier Vernon had a big salary. And when right. they couldn't find his replacement – they renegotiated with him and brought him back and still paid him $11 million guaranteed. And I thought that was going to be similar with Richardson, that if you couldn't replace him with a, with a lesser salary, you would talk restructure. Mm -hmm. And they let him go before the draft. And, and, you know, there wasn't really a sense of urgency, in my opinion, to do that before the draft. You could have waited, see what you do in the draft and free agency at that point, and then go. But they didn't, whether it was, you know, to let Richardson, you know, find somewhere else to go, or, or we don't know really what went on behind. But they drafted Tommy Togiai, and they signed Marvin Wilson, gave him more money than any undrafted free agent has ever received in guarantee. So those two guys are the rookies mainly coming in. And then they took a flyer on Malik McDowell. They have mm -hmm. Andrew Billings coming back from last year who opted out on COVID-19. And they signed Malik Jackson. So basically, it looks to me right now, Malik Jackson and Andrew Billings are your starters. You're replacing, you know, Richardson and Ogan Joby with those two guys. Mm -hmm. I think Billings will be good against the run. Time will tell if the year off. He was definitely out of shape, in my opinion, from what I saw of him in minicamp. Um, Malik Jackson's a little older guy. I don't know if he'll be able 
to replace Sheldon Richardson. I think that they're counting on that. I do think right. the wild card here is that they expect to play Jadavian Clowney inside. And also I think Garrett is versatile enough to move in and out, but I think Clowney would probably move in a little more. So right. they, they have a lot of unknown, but they feel that, like you said, they're hoping to pull a diamond in the rough out of there. They obviously, when you draft Togiai, kind of like Jordan Elliott last year, I don't know what he'll do as a rookie. I think they're expecting Jordan Elliott to step up and replace, you know, one of those two starters. And and that would be how I would see the rotation and Togiai probably the fourth. I think Damian Square, a late unrestricted free agent, is the insurance. And Sheldon Day, five-year veteran who was last year on the practice squad because they had exemptions there. But I think those two guys are kind of insurance in case Marvin Wilson or Malik McDowell or Togiai aren't ready to go when they mm-hmm. start the season. So who do you think, um, you know, Jericho Hollick asks us, um, you know, how many and who make the Browns opening day roster at the defensive tackle position. So we already have Billings. We already have Jackson uh, of the rest. How many of them do you think are going to be on that uh uh, that that starting ro- or going to be on the active roster uh, when we play the Chiefs? Well, good question. If you read the story that I have up on the OBR right now, um, <laughs> it is there. I know it's it's uh, I think on our uh, subscribers side, but as far as no, the I have Billings and Jackson being the starters, um, and then I have. Togiai, when you're drafted by the regime or the guy, Andrew Barry, who makes the decision on who makes the team, that tells me you're probably going to make the team. And I have um, Jordan Elliott, a guy they drafted last year in the third round. So those four guys, to me, are shoe-ins. And the question is, do you keep the fifth guy or not? Because you have Jadavian Clowney, who can play a little inside, I tend to lean with the four, but Marvin Wilson is a guy they spent a lot of money to bring in. If they feel they can keep him on the practice squad, I think they will put him on the practice squad and also Malik McDowell. So right now I have four in the active roster, Billings, Jackson, Togiai, and um, yeah, Elliot with Malik McDowell and Marvin Wilson on the practice squad because you have Clowney who can move inside. Last year, they kept four defensive tackles. I think that would be kind of where you're at. If you keep five defensive ends and four defensive tackles, that's nine on the roster, and that's about the upward limit. You might keep 10 overall on the defensive line, but that's how I see it today. Obviously, you're going to have injuries, and you're going to have different things, guys that don't perform in training camp, and that would change. But right now, that's that's my projection. All right, very good. There you have it, Jericho Hollick. Uh, let's go to the next question in chat. This comes from Troy, and he asks if we think that JOK will be a starter this season. Um, interesting question. Uh, obviously, uh, a lot of uh, high expectations for this rookie draft pick, Fred. Yeah, usually you don't trade up and draft a guy in the second round if you don't expect him to play a lot. I mean, we all kind of get caught up in the starters. Um, They really use packages. And in the base defense, I don't know if he'll be on the field. You know, if when they announce the starting defense, I don't know if he'll be the guy they announce. But I bet you he'll be in there in the first three or four plays, especially in passing downs. I think in a base defense – if you, you know, if you go with three linebackers, you got Anthony Walker who's going to be in the middle, and then I think, you know, Sion Taki Taki's pretty good against the run. I can see him being on one side, and I could also see their Malcolm Smith or um, Jacob Phillips being the other guy they drafted high last year. But I think JOK definitely will be out there in passing situations. I don't know if he'll be out there if they start the game in a you know, a four, two, uh, five, I think he'll be out there. Whenever they have two linebackers, I believe he'll be out there. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd call him the starter or not. It's kind of, you know, one thing or the other. You know, 
I, I see guys that are called starters, you know, like fullback. They'll, they'll have on the depth chart Andy Janovich as the starting fullback, and he might only play three or four plays in a game, right. you know, but he's the starting fullback, you know. So um, all things being said, for all, all practical purposes, JOK is a starter, but he might not start the game, you know, on the field. Right, absolutely. Uh, I think we'll see plenty of him, and uh, he'll have all of training camp uh, to uh, to win that job and to make the case for uh, all the snaps that he can possibly get. Um, next question comes from Spazilla, and he said, Have we had any rumors about the start date for public training camp? Seems very light, late to announce this year. Well, the Browns are apparently putting up tents and getting ready for fans to show up, but they have not announced those details yet. Fred, have you heard any rumors? Yeah, I, I do have a little information. Um, the NFL is doing a concerted 29 or 30 of the 32 teams, I believe, are are reporting to camp on the 27th. You know, it's like the only two that aren't are the two that are playing in the Hall of Fame game. I think it's Dallas and Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a coordinated all the training camps are open that are open for fans are all going to have their first public practice on the 31st, which is Saturday. So the Browns haven't announced it, but when the NFL says that's what they're going to have this year, you can pretty much count on the 31st on Saturday being the first one open to the fans. We haven't got any details. All I've heard a little off the record is some stuff about social distancing and if you've been out in Berea there's not a lot of room out there right and if they're going to keep people 10 to 20 feet apart I don't know how many people they're going to allow in it's going to probably be a, a lottery for sure this year you know and limit it in the capacity so as far as I think you can count on Saturday the 31st being the first open to the public well there you go there you go uh, we will, of course, as soon as it's announced by the team, uh, we will have it up at the OBR.com uh, on our front page as quick as we can physically uh, slam it through our content management system up to the front page. Um, <clears throat> next question comes in from uh, Troy again, and he says, my next question is realistically, how many games do you think we will win? I say 13 or 14. Um well, I remember we went through this roster before, uh, Fred. Uh, I came out with 11 and 5, unfortunately. I'd, I'd love to have it more than that, but uh, I said realistically five five losses for the Browns. Um, you know, it's not the easiest schedule in the world, uh, especially starting off with Kansas City. Um, do you think 13 or 14 is realistic, or do you think with this uh, schedule they're going to struggle to hit that number? You said eleven and five last year, or that's what you're saying this year? For this year, I said eleven and five for this. What year. are they going to do in that seventeenth game? Oh yeah, you're right. Twelve and five. I'm sorry. I just remember the five losses. The five losses. Yeah, you guys. I think you're all drinking the Kool Aid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, as far as wow, that's very hard to do in the NFL, especially with the elongated schedule. Thirteen, fourteen wins. To me, I don't necessarily care how many they win. I want them to win the AFC North. That's right. that's where it's all at. If you remember last year in the NFC East, there's a team I think had a seven and nine record and won the division. They got to host a home game in the playoffs. I think Washington. That's what you want. It's not how many you win the regular season. It's how you're playing down the stretch, heading into the playoffs. Classic example, the Pittsburgh Steelers. When they were 11-0, everybody was ready to, they were saying, look out, undefeated Miami Dolphins. I didn't buy that Kool-Aid. I didn't think they'd lose six out of their last seven. But, you know, you saw what happened there. Um, With that said, I think 11-6 and would be realistic, in my opinion. They might win 12 games. Um, Yeah, they do have a tough schedule. The AFC North itself is tough when you play six or over a 30 year games in the division you know two games with the ravens 
two games with the Steelers, even if the Steelers are a little down, they are the Steelers. And I expect them to really be strong again, Mm -hmm. just because that's how, you know, they got tradition going and they've, they've got a good defense. The Bengals I think will be improved. And so, I think to win the AFC North, you have to come out of there with four wins, four and two at least. And then the rest of it, you know, you got to get probably you'd have to have 11, 12 wins to win the division. So whatever that takes. But I don't know if I would be willing to say 13, 14 wins. You know, I hope they come out of the gate strong, but I'm not really that worried about losing the opener to the Chiefs. I think if you come out and beat the Chiefs in the opener, you really are going to put the radar and the crosshairs on you because Mm -hmm. everybody is going to be pointing and saying the Browns are for real. I'm not saying that I suggest they lose the first game, but you are putting a defense out there for the first time that they'll be playing in a game together against a pretty well-oiled Kansas City Chief offense. So, Mm -hmm. And it's on the road. So with Patrick Mahomes, you know, I I would expect that to be a tough game to win. And then we'll see, you know, but I guess anything's possible. But I would trade 13, 14 regular season wins for an AFC North championship if that only meant 10 wins or 11 wins or right. whatever it took to win the division. I don't know if you can win a division at nine and eight nowadays, but I think you got to have 10 wins, but I'd be okay with that. That's more important than a regular season record, in my opinion. All right. No, that's uh, it's a perfectly valid way to answer it. I have been told uh, that I am tripping uh, because I think five teams could beat us. I actually had it uh, lose to Kansas City in the opener. Kansas City's a pretty darn good team. I had us losing a shocker at either Minnesota or uh, the L.A. Chargers. Um, so one of those two games, I had us losing one to Baltimore, losing to New England away, and losing to Green Bay away. So those are the teams I'm saying, or the games where I'm saying that the Browns, in my view, uh, I would not be surprised if they lose. So um, I, I, I'm not tripping. Uh, I'm drinking, but I'm not tripping. Uh, and those are my five that I have them have them losing at this point. Uh, as always, uh, our the number of viewers continues to go up throughout the course of the hour. So I will remind you, uh, if you are new to the program, that our program is very much based around your comments and questions that go into the chat room. I've got a page or two of material here that Fred and I can talk about if there aren't any questions. But uh, uh, please feel free to get in and uh, offer your uh, thoughts and your questions. And uh, we will react to them, as always. That's what we do. That's all we do. Um, It is the NFL, Barry, you know, and I've watched it for a long time, and as most of our people have here watching with us tonight. Um, But there's always teams that right now on schedule, you say that's a win, and out of the blue, they are good teams. And and there's going to be – there's going to be that game, like I, I refer to that Raiders game last, or the Jets game as a clunker, you know, where you just, you got to be kidding me, you lost to the Jets, you know, right. or you lost to the Raiders when they only scored like 10 points or something. And so 16 to 6 or something like that. So, you know, yeah, I think that, I think anything can happen, but I think you got to be playing your best down the stretch like you did last year. And I expect them to be playing better in the first half coming out of the gate this year because they've they're repeating that offensive system and it's going to allow the defense to click and and pull it together but you really want to be playing your best in december so if you do make the playoffs you know you're ready to take a roll all right sounds good uh let's talk about another news item uh the big news apparently based on everything i've seen around the internet in the last 48 hours is the Browns uniform reveal on July 24th. Uh, You can get a little bit of a head start on what that's going to entail if you are a Rumor Central uh, visitor and an OBR subscriber. But the Browns have posted pictures of a player shrouded in shadows all over social media. Uh, And uh, it gets a certain percentage of the fan base all excited. Uh, We've talked about this before, Fred. Does this 
all this secrecy gets you any more excited for uniform tweaks? Not really. I mean, I've, I've talked about it. It's all about, you know, they can do all the marketing they want, but you can put out the plainest Jane uniforms in the world, which the Browns have always had. And in itself, that's the uniqueness. That's the, you know, that's the, the reason that it is. But in their glory days, all they did was win. And, and that's yeah. why this, this fan base to this day still follows the Browns, you know, is because of the traditions, the interest laid from Jim Brown, Otto Graham, and then into the eighties with the cardiac kids and Bernie Kozar, you know, the Browns have tried to kill off their fan base for over 21 years <laughs> since the team came back, but winning is what revitalizes everything. And it doesn't matter. They could be wearing paper sacks and, and, yeah. and, paper mache helmets if if they won you just that's all that's all that matters um i guess i would have preferred the white just because that's you know maybe the marriott motley and jim brown some of the some of this era um we'll see as long as they're playing well it doesn't matter i don't know what this picture is am i missing something what is, what is in mayfield's arm is it tucked behind I, his I, back? I, I know from the uh, point of view of the uh, photograph, it looks like he has like a bionic arm going there. Yeah, I'm I not mean, sure it's exactly like, what's going okay, on there. is it, yeah, did they hide it behind his back or what? But is that is that the new uniform? It looks kind of similar to me, but, you know, I don't now, know. Our, our video producer has uh, his own thoughts about what should accompany each, with each segment, and... Uh, I do not dispute him because he is fantastic at what he does. Uh, I have been accused of uh, drinking too much and falling uh, frequently. And, uh, you know, that's actually fairly accurate. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm generally an uncoordinated person, and drinking just acts, adds to that. Uh, and uh, I, I've also been accused of looking like a guy who would be a sloppy drunk. And uh, <laughs> Hey, let's not get personal here. <laughs> I'm, I'm sloppy naturally when I'm drunk even more so. But uh, at any rate, let's uh, let's go to the next question. This comes from Pat. And Pat asks, I know it will change from game to game, but what do you think will be a noticeable change in the offensive game plan this year? I was mesmerized here with this. Is Derek <laughs> Holland and a Baker Mayfield? Say that again. Uh, Pat Kennedy asks, I know it will change from game to game, but what do you think but what do you think will be a noticeable change in the offensive game plan this year? So what will stand out? First I think that you're gonna see more um motions and more two back sets with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Uh you know, I've been I've been saying that all along. You cannot, you know, have a pro ball yeah, I got two Pro Bowl running backs. You can't only be using one. I'd much rather have one, you know, out there blocking in place of a fullback who, you know, is only out there and, and used in a token situation. You got those two guys out in the field. Even if you just tell one to run to the sideline, it's got to take one or two defenders with them. And so I think you're going to see that more. We've pressed Kevin Stefanski. I think that, I truly think that, last year and putting it all together that they were more concerned with just getting the base in. So I think you're going to get a little bit more. I also think that you're going to see more plays downfield. Now you have Beckham back and you have uh, Schwartz that you're going to be able to stretch the field and you're going to see more jet sweeps and, and things with the, I think you were going to see that last year with Jojo Natson. He went down. They've now added, Anthony Schwartz besides Nats and, and Demetric Felton. And so one at one or two of those guys, I think are going to be used more in that short, you know, end around jet sweep type thing. So I think you're going to see a little bit more variety, you know, in that area. Well, I certainly hope so. That all sounds very uh, exciting to me, especially the notion of seeing Chubb and Hunt on the field at the same time. Uh, in, you know, a double, uh, two running backs in the backfield. Uh, which one of those guys do you key on? Uh, great question from Brandon. I love this question because I was going to talk about Ronnie Harrison anyway. But he asked, what are the chances the Browns signed Ronnie Harrison to an extension 
And what does his market value look like? Ronnie Harrison uh, will be a uh, unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, and he looks like he's headed for a very interesting year. Yeah, I think they they like him a lot, and you know it's always difficult, you know, in the NFL when a team when a guy comes over in a trade, especially in the middle of the year, because it's not like baseball where you can actually just you know you just go up and bat and you do your thing, you know, in football you got to get incorporated into the system. And, and I've seen that in all, in many years, not just Harrison, but last year he had, you know, he, he, it took him a while to really grasp what they were doing. At least that's what Woods said before they felt comfortable in putting him out there. And then he made impact. I mean, he had that pick six, I think against the Colts. And then he, he had some injuries and he had the COVID and, and so, this year he's he's been here the whole year, and so I think they I I really would not be surprised if he opens as a starting safety, mm-hmm. you know, as even if they start with two safeties, I think Harrison and John Johnson to me would be the first two. This would allow Grant Delpa to be brought along a little slower, even though they had big hopes for him last year. He's in essentially in a rookie because. He's coming off a major injury with the Achilles, mm-hmm. and he didn't. He hasn't played a down in the NFL. So the preseason is going to be important for Delpit, but I think Ronnie Harrison plays big in there. And as far as an extension, I know they want to have three safeties, but I think a lot of that will depend on what they think of Richie LeCount. They drafted him in the fifth round, big-time player at Georgia who missed his last year because of uh, an off-field, uh, like a motorcycle accident. Right. And he's just getting back into playing shape. And if he can show this year, I think primarily he would be a special teams guy or a practice squad guy. They're going to make an evaluation. Is he the guy that can step in and be the third safety? Or do they need to draft a guy? Or do they need to extend Harrison? I think right. they like Harrison, but it's going to be, you know, if they're talking to him and he's seeing big money in free agency, then I just don't think they can extend all these guys. You know, they got Wyatt right. Teller. They got, you know, we know the bigger names, Chubb, Ward, Mayfield. But there's a lot of f- potential free agents out there. So I think Harrison, a lot of it's on him and how he does this year. And uh, you remember last year, Carl Joseph was the guy they were really planning to to have a one-year deal and see what he could do long-term. And he really got the one-and-done deal, you know. So right. um, I think I think Harrison, you know, he's younger and he has a chance. Uh, it just depends on how much money he wants. And it also depends on how quickly Grant Delpit comes back and, and uh, what the future they think of LaCount is. You know, uh, Joe Woods recently said that he thought Harrison looked like a completely different player out there. Uh, Not because he's transformed himself physically, but because his technique is so much better than it was last year. He apparently is bending his knees a little bit better, or, you know, whatever Joe Woods sees as uh, technique improvement. Was any of that noticeable from the sidelines in minicamp this year? Did Harrison look like the same old guy, or he looked a little, little sharper to you? Again, they weren't doing a whole lot other than, you know, reacting and running against air. Um, mm-hmm. But when they did, did a little bit of the walkthrough team stuff, I mean, he he's comfortable. I mean, that's I've heard this so many times from guys. A lot of it is comfort zone. I mean, I don't care what you are. You go to a new job, a new environment, you know, especially in the middle of the season, you know, you're you're feeling on the spot. I I played some baseball, you know, and some teams I went to, you know, brand new. It was, you felt like they're expecting big things from me immediately. And you, you know, that's just the nature. And I just think that he's much more comfortable. He's got to know the, the guys on the team, the defense. And yeah, I think when you're more comfortable, you run fluid and you know what you're doing. I think the reason Woods didn't put him out there you know, there are several, we asked several weeks in a row, why in the world aren't you playing Ronnie Harrison when we saw what was being put out there? You know, Andrews mm. and Deho and, you know, getting toasted time after time. No. And I and I think that he felt 
I really want Harrison to feel comfortable before I put him out there and damage him by him getting burned and losing his right. confidence. So, you know, that's just that's just the way I think he's much more confident. He looks he looks the part. I mean, he he's quick, he's fast. He's what they look for, and I think he could have he could really play a big role this year in defense. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what he looks like uh, this year, and uh, if he steps up, you know, and, and uh, reaches a new level of play. And uh, I like the question because uh, Harrison is sort of the forgotten man when it comes to those uh, contract extensions. Uh, obviously, the other guys are much bigger names, but. Uh, Harrison may be, by the end of the year, somebody that uh, we are uh, hoping uh, sticks around uh, after this year. Um, again, if you're in the chat room, if you're watching us, join us on the YouTube page. Uh, we got a chat going there. You can uh, type in questions or uh, vague insults, you know, whatever you have uh, into the chat room, and uh, we will, in uh, most cases, try to respond to them. Um Let's see. Uh, let's talk about a Bleacher Report story, uh, which appeared today. And that said that the one move that the Browns should make before the season starts is to uh, extend Baker Mayfield. Because the author says he believes it will save tens of millions of dollars if you extend him early rather than waiting for Allen and Lamar Jackson's contract. Do you think, Fred, that an early signing, a quick signing in Mayfield would have that effect? Well, I think it would send a signal, you know, that obviously they're committed to him, but it would get that talk, you know, that background noise off the table, and they could focus, you know, on, on some of the other guys as well. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know what good it does to, to wait. Um, obviously, it takes two sides if the Mayfield – representation is saying we want to wait and see what you know the market bears for for some mm -hmm. other guys or we want to see if you guys have any questions you know and don't think you can pay you know what what we're talking about then he then he's going to go out and have a pro bowl type season so you know, the, the, the value only goes up. So I almost think to get it done early, you might have to pay a little more than you want to now. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it's just hard to know where the discussions are. I'm personally hoping that Mayfield knows that whether I get 30 million, 35 million, 38 million a year, it's, it's, it's kind of chump change when it's all being said and done. Right. I would hope that he would say that, I would rather have pro bowlers all around me and have a, a, a great product out there than, than at my expense to have everything built on me. And, and we have to get, get rid of some pretty good players, you know, for that reason. I don't know if that's realistic or not. I, I'm that's wishful thinking, but I do think that there's no advantage to wait. You know, if he has a bad year, you know, then what are you going to do? You're going to knock him down and saying, hey, we're going to go start all over again and and so forth. So I trust Andrew Barry's got a handle on this. He mm -hmm. said he's committed to to Mayfield. And every time I've heard him use that language when he talks about guys, usually, you know, that's what his goal is to do. And I think that he's going to – I wouldn't be surprised. Last year, you know, Garrett was, was announced, you know, in the middle of July – when I wouldn't be surprised if they get it done before training camp, but again, it has to come from both sides. I think Lane said that it won't take long if they start talking, but the question is who's picking up the phone. Have they started this dialogue or not? Right. And there's this other line of reasoning that everybody's going to play this game of chicken, uh, meaning Lamar Jackson, uh, uh, Josh Allen and Mayfield uh, because they figure somebody else will set the uh, low bar and then they can get a little bit more money from that. I don't know if that's true. Well, I read somewhere that Lamar Jackson is has no agent now. It's just his, him and his mother. Yeah. And if that's the case, you know, they might be thinking, well, we can, you know, 
we they might not get as much as an agent you know driving this situation would i don't know i can't see a team deliberately you know hurting somebody you know and that's where you know there's so many variables i mean you could always come back and up the ante i would think if if you mm-hmm. don't if you sign them and then everybody gets a lot more and say look okay we'll match it you know right but let's get it done let's get let's get this taken care of let's send a signal that you're our guy we don't want to look anywhere else and then you take the other school of thought well you, he's under contract for two years then you always can play the you know the franchise game so you really could have him for four years if you wanted him mm-hmm. and you didn't want to make that commitment but as far as i think from everything they've said just just cut the semantics out get that done then you can work on some of these other guys that you might lose if you don't get your you know get get those addressed right right makes total sense um next question comes from does it matter and doesn't matter. Ask us who is the dark horse player on the team this year, the guy we're not expecting to have a fantastic year who is going to jump out of the pack. What are your thoughts there, Fred? Well, I'll throw a couple guys out on offense. Donovan Peoples-Jones, in my opinion, I think he's ready to – he's shown spurts last year, and I think that he now knows the NFL game. I think there's confidence in him. I think that he could really – jump up and be the third wide receiver. He's got the size, the speed, you know, that you're looking for in the receivers. I also think David Njoku could have a big year. I think that mm-hmm. he's he's in the last year of his contract. And I think that, you know, he really has bought in and whether it's deep in his heart, but either way, a big year by him translates into a big year on the open market or an extension for for big money with the Browns. But if they right. can't keep him, he's going to he's going to have a pretty good opportunity to go be the number 1 tight end somewhere else. Last year he showed towards the end of the year he's willing to block and do what's told of him. It's taken him a few years I think to come to that realization and now, you know, if he can catch the ball, he really could have a big year because I think I think when you look at this offense, he could be facing the fourth fifth defender on an opposing defense, and that's a pretty good matchup with his leaping ability and speed and so forth. So I think those two guys right off the bat come to mind on defense. You know, you mentioned Ronnie Harrison. I think he could he could have a, a big year. Um, Jacob Phillips, I think they were very high on him last year. He got he really got buried with, with a couple injuries early, and he never really caught up. So I think that but probably on defense, my number one dark horse. I don't know if you'd call it that because he was a former first-round pick and he was a, a free agent. Tacharis McKinley. I think Jadavian Clowney's been getting all the ink, and rightly mm-hmm. so. But Tacharis McKinley, I know the Browns are high on him, and I actually predicted in my projection that he would have more sacks than Clowney, and I think that he would he would be in the market to hit double digit sacks. And I think that he might be a guy that could be here long-term. Um, they're looking for that guy to go with, with miles Garrett. And if he shows anything early, I think they would try to extend him um, rather than let him walk after a year. Right. Okay. Uh, that's good. I mean, the dark horse player to me is Anthony Schwartz. Um <laughs> because he's going to extend the field. Even if he doesn't catch a lot of passes, I think he's going to impact the game tremendously uh, by stretching the field. But uh, that's just me, and he hasn't even signed a contract yet. So let's go to uh, Pink Diamond. He says, are we waiting to sign a free agent after the preseason uh, or two free agents after the preseason? Uh, What do you think, Fred? Are we going to see continuing roster moves after we uh, do the pretend games? Well, I think you always have those guys. If if guys get released from other teams that they have highly stacked and higher than the bottom of the end roster, yeah, they would they would pick up some guys there. But as far as um, a big name signing, I look for it 
like last year, if you remember, Mac Wilson went down like in the first, second day at training camp, and it looked right. like maybe a long-term injury to his knee. Turned out to be hyperextended, and I, you know, he ended up six, seven weeks or so. He was back, maybe even earlier. But at the time, then they they signed Ma- Malcolm Smith. It was during training camp; it already started. Malcolm Smith ended up being the second leading tackler of the team. I see that type of move. There are a lot of cornerbacks, um, linebacker, a lot of guys across the board at almost every position that are maybe are higher-priced guys that didn't get signed that are available. And I think that they are on the short list. If injuries occur or they get into camp and they go, whoa, this guy is not what we thought we had, then that's when movement will take place. Kind of emergency situation. But I don't think you're going to see them go out now until they have until there's an injury or something there. You know, if like I said, Mac Wilson last year was being counted on to be like a mainstay linebacker. We know mm-hmm. he had an underwhelming season, and right. that's one. Now I think he's in jeopardy of making the team because they went out and, and drafted two linebackers and Tony Fields and JOK. So, but that changes everything if a if a key corner greedy williams if his shoulder can't handle it they find early in camp they go get one of these name cornerbacks maybe you see you know if steven nelson's still there or uh brian Brian pool or somebody like that that you wonder why in the world haven't they signed well because they're just sitting there and they're still asking for too much money and their price may come down or, or it could stay the same. They could get it with injuries mm-hmm. occur. Right. So right. I don't see anybody really being signed because they could have signed any of these guys. You know, if they would have done it, it would have been right after the mini camp when they evaluated them and said, okay, we need more help here or we need more help there. But now you're going to see in training camp, you always see these guys wandering around that are in for a visit. That's used to always see. I remember Bayshad Breland walking around out at practice field mm. when he was unsigned and everybody's, you know, always oh, the Browns are going to sign him. And they never did, but they're always bringing those type guys in. I think they've lifted the restrictions a little bit with COVID this year. So right. I think you're, you're going to see those type guys. And it also makes the guys out on the field, you know, step it up a little because they realize, oh my gosh, there's a veteran pro bowler over there walking around and at my position. So, um, you know, that that's the name of the game, hold guys feet to the fire, but there's guys like Malcolm Smith out there, you know, at almost mm. all the positions. Right. Right. Remember a few years ago, Michael Kendricks, they signed the same way after training camp started and he actually came right in and was a starter. He had that insider trading deal and they cut him as soon as that broke, right. but um, there's those type of guys out there that they can get on a one-year deal. and uh, But I think right now they're, they're going to go with what they have, see what they have with it. That is just, you know, it's not too many years ago that the Browns were picking up people at the end of training camp and inserting them into the starting lineup, you know, uh, like they did That's with Michael problem. Hendricks. That's, that, that is indication of that, that you've got some issues if you're doing that. That's for sure. Hopefully we don't... Uh, have ourselves in that position uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, let's go on to uh, one of the big stories of the week, at least as indicated by uh, activity on the internet. Uh, on an edition of ESPN's Get Up program, Jeremy Fowler, who's an ESPN reporter, told the audience uh, listening that Baker Mayfield is, quote, Hardly going to take a discount on his uh, contract extension. Now, there was no apparent source for that comment. It's not like somebody's from Baker's account saying, ah, you can forget the hometown discount. At least that was my interpretation of it. That was just sort of an offhand remark. Uh, But, you know, it begs the question, when Baker uh, and his people negotiate this deal, do you expect to see Mayfield be cognizant of the team's long-term success? In other words, structure his contract so that he can make sure that he continues to be surrounded by talent. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that would be, to me, team-friendly. Um, 
if if not that he makes less money, but as you look at the salary cap, I mean, Miles Garrett got that big deal, but I think he's 9.3 million this year against the salary cap. So it's, you know, guaranteed money, but spread out. And I think that, you know, Mayfield, I would think would be open to that is still get your money, but kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit. So you can, you, you saw with the Steelers, they had to dump guys this year because Ben Roethlisberger was, you know, like at 42 million, he the next guy on the roster was like 10 million you know and so obviously he took a pay cut and restructured but the damage was still done you know the the against the cap you can only put it out so long but i think Barry in their in their strategy that they will work it so he can get his money but also they cannot be restricted and only have like i think Jeff Shadell wrote that they only had a short window a year or two you know, mm-hmm. I think Barry and these guys are are going to be judicious in in these contracts, but I think that their whole goal is to keep it going, not win it, tear it all down. Even though, personally, I'd be I'd be fine if you won the Super Bowl and then you tore it down to the studs. You know, I just mm-hmm. would like to see one. And, <laughs> but but I know they talk about sustained success. I'd like right. to see just some success before we talk about sustain. But as far as yeah, I think that I think that that that's why it's so critical with the quarterback. You know, you saw with Carson mm-hmm. Wentz, you saw with Jared Goff, you know, that you hamstring the organization a little bit. But also you've seen that there was takers for both those guys and you it isn't a fatal mistake. You can get out of it. And so that's why I said I don't see a reason to hold off. If you can get a deal done, get the deal done. And uh, but I don't know if necessarily, you know, he's going to get a lot less than, you know, than he would have, you know, somewhere else. Right. Right. Hey, uh, before I want to talk about that Shudell column. Uh, But before we do that, uh, I want to uh, just make a brief programming announcement. And that is that we are going to be uh, invading the Twitch live streaming network. Uh, we have a site there called the OBR underscore Browns on twitch.tv. And our live broadcasts will move over to Twitch uh, as training camp begins. And uh, uh, as much as I love YouTube and all that, we are making a major commitment to Twitch and live streaming. And uh, we hope that you uh, sign up for Twitch and check out the URL, which is up on your screen. And uh, go ahead and follow us so that you are notified uh, whenever uh, we go live. And we're going to have a ton of programming coming at you starting at training camp. So uh, as, uh, uh, who is it, Qui uh, is great, says, let's go. So definitely go ahead and check out. This URL, twitch.tv, the, unders- the OBR underscore Browns, and that is where the action is going to be this season. Three weeks from today, by the way, players report to training camp. That's right. We're down to 21 days. It is uh, It's time to go. I, they can show up tomorrow as far as I'm concerned. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about that article in the News Herald. Um, it was said basically that the uh, argued – that the Browns have until 2023 to uh, win the Super Bowl or, you know, have their time in the sun as the Browns will lose a number of key players uh, simply because you can't pay everybody, right? You have a limited salary cap and players will leave and go somewhere else. Um, I think it's very, very difficult to project that far ahead because whether that window closes in 2024 is dependent on the free agents we sign and the draft picks we make. And if you are successful enough in the draft, that window can be extended, right? If you're finding value in the draft, it's all about how well you draft. What say you, Fred? Well, exactly. I mean, as far as that's why the Browns have been bad for so long. They, they didn't pick the right players. They didn't bring in the right players. You know, we see it time and time again, guys that they passed up that went on to – you know, turn teams around. I mean, you know, case in point, the year of the Justin Gilbert, Johnny Manziel, Khalil Mack was sitting there that they could have taken. 
and the Raiders took him instead of the Browns. And then, you know, you had Derek, um, or not Derek, yeah, yeah, Derek Carr or Teddy Fridgewater, you know, both those guys, either one of them, you know, the Raiders took Carr. That they were two and fourteen the next year, they were eleven and five. Those two guys played a big part in that turnaround. So you're seeing that it doesn't take long in the NFL if you make the right moves. Andrew Barry is is so far been making the right moves. And like the Hudson. James Hudson, I think fourth round pick this year. You're like, why in the world would they get a tackle? Well, by the time he should be ready to take over, you know, Jack Conklin's 15 million a year's kicking in, and maybe Hudson can go in there a little, a little seamless. Um, mm-hmm. And also, like a Newsome, you know, he's in there should be long term. You can look at a lot of these things, the account thing I mentioned that earlier. That's where your depth comes. The Steelers, we don't like to bring it up, but the reason they've been competitive for so long, because they always have guys. Think about it. How many times have they lost a wide receiver to free agency and you think they're done because you don't mm-hmm. even know who the guy is that's taking his place? And then that guy becomes a pro bowler. Same right. way with the linebackers. You know, good teams, Ravens have been able to do that too. They get a big name leaving, and you think, well, they're done. And then there's a guy you might not even know about that steps in, and you don't see a drop-off. That's what good teams do. And so I think Andrew Barry is starting to do that with some of these under-the-radar picks, building depth. So by the time they're ready to go, they can let a guy walk and and have somebody to replace them. In the past, they never had anybody. If they did have a good guy, they didn't really have many, but – they didn't have anybody to replace them. So, you know, right. that's that's what good teams do is develop depth, and I think they're well on their way. And that's why I said DP, DPJ is big. With $32 million committed to those top two receivers next year, obviously a lot will be depending on what happens this year. But if he shows he can be a game-changing receiver, it wouldn't be so hard to let one of them go. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And it's it's great to have a front office that is looking two or three years down the road with their draft picks instead of just panicking to fill out the 51 players on the roster, which is what we've seen here most of the last 20 years. Uh, let's uh, let's take a uh, time check. It is 7:52. We've got eight minutes left in the show. If you have questions for the legend Fred Greetham, fire them off right now, uh, and we will get to them. Uh, in the interim, uh, let's talk about another minor news story that showed up last week that might be telling in terms of a prediction for how things are going to turn out this year. Uh, Las Vegas, prior to the season, set the Ravens' victories at 11. So they were predicted to go 11-6, and six, I guess. And the Browns' victories at 10.5, slightly behind the Ravens. Well, what's happened is that uh, the betters are flooding uh, uh, Vegas or f- flooding the books with bets of the under for the Ravens. 83% of the money is on the under for the Ravens. And 92% of the money is on the over for the Browns. Now, I don't think either of us are gamblers, but if I'm reading this right, people are saying they are not as high on the Ravens as they are on the Browns. Do you think that the people who are speaking with their money are correct, Fred? Would uh, would you make the same guesses in terms of number of wins for these teams? Well, I'll tell you, Vegas didn't build all those multi-million dollar, you know, Bellagios and, and resorts and losing. They usually right. seem to be amazingly close in these things. They're trying to get people to do exactly that, and Browns fans are going to flock to it. And um, I said what I said earlier, you know, I, I went in the division, but 10 and a half games. I think that realistically last year, I didn't think that Browns team was very good on the defensive side. Mm-hmm. I had them 10 and six. I think, you know, they outdid, you know, they were 11 and five. And then with the playoffs, 12 and 12 and six. So as far as, yeah, I think, I think I'd probably be inclined to go over. I'd take the – I think they'll win, like I said, right on the border of 11-12 games this year. Um, I do think the Ravens, 
you know, part of it's because they're from Baltimore. I know I'm wearing a purple jersey, but as far as <laughs> I keep thinking sooner or later, they're going to figure Lamar Jackson out. Right. And he, to me, he's the key to their team, him running, not so much anything else. But I think that's one of the big reasons the Brown went and got JOK. But, yeah, I think that I think that they'll get less than 11 wins this year. I, I am – I'm – more in favor of the Browns winning the division than the Ravens. All right. That's good to hear. Uh, I'm with you, man. Uh, let's uh, go back to a question from uh, Pee Wee is Great. And he says, if you have to pick one player to let go out of Chubb, Ward, or Teller, who would that be? That's a tough question. None of the above is not an option, I don't think. Yeah, Chubb to me is is – got to be on this team he's everything you want out of a player humble tough they 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 want you know i hear this all the time from barry and stefanski you know accountable tough um and some other thing <laughs> but you got to keep chubb teller i think the question is is what do you think with forbes last year you thought forbes was going to push or even possibly beat Teller out for the position. If you think that they are very equal, then and you wouldn't have a drop off, then you then you let Teller go. But it's hard to get a lockdown cornerback. Ward, to me, it's his health. I mean, he's slight. He's small. When he played, he played twelve games. He was leading the league in pass breakups. And then he then he missed games. He's only played twelve games in each of his three years, so he, you got to count on him missing a quarter of the season. And I just don't know. I think if push come to shove, I would like to keep the offensive line together. I would guess um, with bringing in Newsom, I would probably let Ward go. He'd be the odd man out. But with that said, I, I want all three of them to stay on this team. These are core players. And you hope to draft guys like that and keep them. So, you know, that said, if you have to lose one of them, I'd say Ward. But it could be either one of them. Chubb's the only one I would not let go. Um, I, I think I'm with you, Fred. I think you can make an argument for Teller as being the one to let go. And I, I know that uh, I'm watching the chat here and, and seeing the, the disagreements of, of opinion between the folks in the chat the reason I would say Teller uh, is really twofold. One is that uh, his performance last year was sort of, it was totally unexpected. And you have to believe that Teller is, you have no proof that Teller is going to be able to maintain that level of play, right? And the second reason is that you always have Bill Callahan. You've got the best O-line coach in the business. If anyone can take a raw product and coach him up, it's going to be Bill Callahan, and I have a lot of faith in him. Uh, I also have a lot of faith in him advising Andrew Barry and uh, the group uh, as to uh, whether Teller is somebody you absolutely have to keep. You know, I like you. I want to keep them all. But, uh, well, with that said, I would look at maybe seeing if I could do something with Treader and, you know, and well, keep Teller, if it, you know, but he wasn't one of yeah. the options there um, because you got Nick Harris – you could save 11, 12 million a year, you know, on Treader. And, you know, I know he's smart and I know he calls the plays, but I think that you can, you could replace him with two pro bowl guards on either side, like Teller and Batonia. All right. Uh, let's see here. We've got two minutes left in the program. So uh, one more subject I'll try to get in. Uh, a listicle from uh, ESPN, one of their list articles, is uh, the top 10 edge rushers. And that hit today is pretty much all over the web that they named Miles Garrett number one. Um, and I, I guess I'm a little bit confused as to why Garrett is now at the top of all the lists. I know he's a physical specimen and all that, but is he number one on the list this year because his 2020 season was so great? Or is he number one on the list this year because of all the improvements the team has made around him that are going to give him more opportunities? Uh, that's my question to you, Fred. Well, I think that that's part of it. I, I think that everybody recognized the untapped potential. 
two years ago, he, he had 10 sacks, I think, in 10 games. And then he had the unfortunate incident, didn't play anymore. Last year it was kind of the same thing. Um, I think when he got COVID, he had like 10 sacks in 10 games. And and I just think that the big thing with him is, is staying on the field. And part of it was he was so overwhelmed not having help. I mean, Olivier mm. Vernon underperformed. I know everybody says nine sacks, but he had three in one game. He really didn't do a lot when Garrett was out there with him. And I think that they're looking at Clowney, McKinley will take some of the pressure off, and he can literally go on unbridled more this year. And and so I think, you know, he's ready to break out going into his fifth year. So I think that's what it is. But he hasn't really done it where he's taken over totally. We saw more of it last year where he made those strip sacks and changed the course of the game. You'd right. like to see that more than once, you know, a game. But but that's the NFL. One game, one play could do it. So I think that um, I think it's his potential, you know, is why he's getting that type of accolade. And this hopefully is the year that he lives up to that immense potential. Uh, would be great for the Browns if he did. It's going to be an exciting season regardless. And we will be back here as we get closer to training camp next week um, with uh, another edition of OBR Weekly. Next Tuesday at 7, we'll be on YouTube still. And we hope that you come back and join us because uh, we really love the interaction with folks and uh, you're getting your questions and comments and watching those as the program moves on. Uh, until then, we'll see you next Tuesday on OBR Weekly. Thanks, everybody.